Yes, revelation means to unveil, to reveal the person of Christ and of course His whole grand, awesome plan that He has. We're included in it. We're in that story, aren't we? The wondrous mystery. Well, um, we've been in chapter 12 and uh, today it's dealing with the war on earth. We saw the war in heaven earlier in chapter 12 and there were two signs there that were uh, brought forth, unfolded they were. One of them was the sign of the woman that was clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, that being Israel. And then in the second sign, there was a sign that was the great red Dragon, it says in verse 3, then another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. We know who that is. It's later on explained in uh, verse uh, 9. Dragon, the serpent, the devil, the Satan. And so we have Israel, which is really the woman. And we have the dragon, which is Satan. So Satan has war against Israel. Would you today say that that is very true? Obviously. They have had nothing but war since their disobedience, which goes back way when. (laughs) And it uh, continues. Anyway, there's one other one that's involved in that uh, first section of chapter 12. That's the Son capital S-O-N, which is the son of the woman who gave birth. And obviously that has no trouble at all. That's Christ, right? So we have the woman Israel, we have the dragon Satan, and we have the child who is Jesus. And then it said he then ascends to heaven. And so here we are kind of goes back to almost the beginning of time, breaks forth in heaven as far as warfare is concerned between the evil one, Satan, and his demons, and God and his angels. Uh, They are kicked out of heaven the first time, but still having access to the throne of God. And so when we look at that, we realize that that has happened, but yet, why is there such, you could say, I guess, turmoil in heaven because the devil is accusing us. He went to God at the throne and reported there and he asked about Job and uh, what he can do with him and his family. God gave him permission to do what he wanted, only in God's boundaries. And so that's been going on since then. He has access, but there is one other time when he's going to be kicked out. This is in the future, where he will no longer accuse the saints. And that's what we talked about last week with the war that is in heaven as far as the dragon and his angels waging war against uh, God and his angels And Michael the archangel is the one who's holding back and then winning the war there. 
And so there will be a time when the dragon and his demons will have no access whatsoever ever again. But in the meantime, they're kicked out and guess where they go? Right to earth. And so here is where we get at today. And Michael and his archangels are having war with the enemy. Uh, and God's plan is being carried out. Israel is being persecuted. The woman, which is Israel, is being persecuted by the dragon. Now that's persecution. We all know about persecution. We know Israel has had it for hundreds and hundreds of years. More like thousands. And John 15, 19, Jesus said this to the disciples, If you were of the world, the world would love His own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, Christian friends, we know that that not only applied to the apostles, but it also applies to the church, and we see that in biblical history and then throughout the history of the church all the way up, even to today. We know the meaning of it, our basic life that we live as Christians is not harmonious to the life of the world. We understand that. We get it very thoroughly. We are different. That is why. Why is it that people don't see the things the way that we see it? Why don't they have a worldview like we do? Well, we are chosen out of the world and still yet we are in it but we're not of it, and we confront the world by our thoughts. The world hates our thoughts, our philosophies, our values. What we're concerned most with, the world has no understanding of that. They don't want to understand, and so therefore, when they really are getting an idea of what we do believe, they will begin to hate us and everything we believe in. And I said everything. And I think that's fast becoming very true to us today because a lot of people hate Christ and they hate everything about Him. And if we're His, they will hate us. They will persecute us. It can come in a couple of form forms. One would be scorn things that they say, uh, hurtful things as they try to do that, and there can also be physical persecution which we know of that goes all around the world, even in our country. And he says, it's not for your sake that they're doing that, it's my sake, Jesus says. It's really Him that they hate. Satan has implanted darkness, and whenever light comes out, it exposes their deeds. Church, Christianity, Christians, a Holy Spirit working through Christians exposes the darkness of the world and they hate it. So anyway, it's about Christ and the world is quite unhappy with us. And they want it the way that they want it. The evil one is carrying out his quarrel with Jesus Christ. 
And if he can make it to where he impresses it upon people who are unbelievers, then they also can really hassle Christians. That will continue until the Lord comes. Matter of fact, I don't think it'll get better. It'll probably get worse. But be encouraged because as we look at this passage today, we are looking at what our title is today. God takes care of His people. He took care of the nation of Israel, that they still exist after all they've gone through, and they're still here today. They have their own country, which for 2,000 years they did not have their country. They did not have a place to go. Nobody wanted them all over Europe and such. And you know what? God still preserved them, and He will preserve them at the height of their persecution and martyrdom that Israel has ever known. Far beyond the Holocaust that we've heard of so much that was brought on by Hitler. The one coming will be evil and ferocious. And it also will involve Gentiles who have become Christians also. But what we focus on is not so much the persecution and what the devil does as he goes to extremes... He never wins. He has never won a battle against God. Never, ever. Never does has He ever lost a battle. God uh, has never lost a battle. Amen. Satan has lost one battle after another, after another, and he will continue to lose all the way to the lake of fire. So let's grab our Bibles and let's go through this part of the text. We actually have kind of commented on this before earlier in chapter 12, so it'll be a lot of review and we'll try to get a few more intricacies there that can help us understand what is going on in Revelation and what is going on not only in the future, but even in our world today and in our own lives. Let's read. Revelation 12:13 And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child but the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent and the serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman, went off to make war with the rest of her children, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Dear Lord, we see again quite desperate measures that are brought on by Satan. We know that that time is coming. And we know, because of the previous text, that you are in control of this. And you take care of your people. You take care of us. We've seen that all throughout Scripture. It is a promise. And we see it today in our own lives. And so, Lord, help us focus upon Christ, who protects us, takes care of us, puts us under His wings. 
as we go through everyday struggles and trials and tribulations. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, verse 13. I've got an outline here today, as you might see on your bulletins or up on the screens. And uh, really, I've outlined it by the verses that we have. Boom, boom, boom. 13 through 17. So the first thing that we note in the 13th verse is that there is a satanic persecution of the remnant. There's always a remnant that God has. There's a remnant of the Jews. And we're looking ahead in this text to the time of the great tribulation, the last three and one half years. So, we're going to see, as we've already seen, the nation of Israel suffering the most severe time of trial ever in their history. Some of the suffering that Israel has undergone is by the will of God that He has brought on directly. It's right from the hand of the Almighty God. Because He's disciplining them as a nation to drive them to repentance and salvation. There is a second way also that they are persecuted or chastened and it is from the hand of Satan. Directly, and it's severe from the hands of God or from the hands of Satan. And his purpose is not remedial, it actually is to bring on not repentance, not salvation, but death and hell. So God always does discipline or punishment to bring people to their knees so that they would be saved. So that is what we're looking at here in verse 13. Uh, It is coming directly from Satan, God's permission of course. He's thrown out of heaven, it says here, down to the earth. And here is attack number one. As we look at verse 13, the dragon saw that he was thrown down from heaven to earth. He's not going to get up there anymore at this time. This is like the great tribulation now probably during that time. Michael and his angels waged war. They toss him out. They could not hold against uh, the angels. Uh, and now that could be... I, we could take this back to the beginning of the tribulation. People differ on this. But maybe it's the beginning of the tribulation and then that's where he starts his warring against Israel, but it's done in a way that is like a velvet glove. It's soft. And, of course, the Antichrist comes offering peace, making a covenant with Israel. But there's persecution going on in in a little bit different format there, but they're in a great tribulation. As we move on in our text today, we will see that that's what it is. Not only is it Satan and the demons... Uh, there are also other demons that have been in the pit and they're let out. Remember chapter 9? Not only that, then there are 200,000 uh, representing maybe demons coming out of the river Euphrates. To, uh, did I say two, it's 200 million? And 
they are coming out. And so God is using them to bring on uh, quite the tribulation to the world. So the goal of Satan is to destroy Israel and to abort the kingdom to stop the reign of Christ. But he will not succeed. He never succeeds. And God will protect His chosen people of Israel. So we see in uh, Revelation 12.4, we see the first time He was kicked out, His uh, tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave uh, birth, He might devour her child. He wanted to destroy Jesus, right? God did not let him, and there are many different ways that that was to happen. We went over that all the, we went through uh, Old Testament uh, sections where men tried to, uh, where other men actually tried to destroy the Judaic line, the Messianic line, and whether it be uh, the enemies of Israel or people in Israel. God did not allow that to happen. And finally, Christ is to be born as a man and God. And guess what? Satan tried to spoil that and he couldn't do that, could he? He never wins. Now, so what's happening now is that he is kicked out a second time in our section here and he goes after the believing Jews. Chapter 11 mentions the temple. Chapter 11 in that same section mentions the holy city, which is Jerusalem. And we've got a temple. I don't think there's any doubt that that is Israel. It's not the church. And the Gentiles tread underfoot for 42 months. 36 months is how many years? Three. 12 months, 12 months, 12 months. 36 and 6 more months, a half a year, three and a half Years that happens, and we see that in Revelation 11. And so we have uh, this worst is yet to come. Now, Jeremiah 30, verse 7, it talks about a time in the future where it says that it is the time of Jacob's trouble. Who is Jacob? He is Israel. Jacob was renamed Israel. Jacob's trouble. The great tribulation. Three and a half years. Matthew 24. Jesus says, It will be a time of trouble, a time of tribulation, such as not occurred since that beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. There's never been a time like this great tribulation and never will. So the Israel has not seen the worst of it yet. With all those years they've gone through this tribulation of their own. They've got more to come that's much worse. Satan will do all he can to stop the ministry of the 144,000 that are appointed to evangelize Israel. He will try to stop them. You know what? He doesn't win there because the 144,000 actually live all the way through the tribulation and great tribulation. All the way through. That's remarkable. Satan can't get rid of him. And then there's the two witnesses who it looks like Satan wins. 
Because after their time that they have, three and a half years, they finally are able to kill them and the whole world celebrates and they have their own Christmas. Celebrating the death of the two witnesses of the lioness street. And then they resurrect and come to life for everybody in the world to see via internet, cable, TV, what have you. Everybody can see this, they will, and they'll be absolutely shocked. And then they just ascend to God. And they're going to be looking at each other, did you see what I saw? After they've seen all this other stuff, how hardened can you be? That's the mind and the thoughts, the hearts of wicked people. That they even deny that. A resurrection that they saw. Well, they denied the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, didn't they? So if they don't believe that resurrection, what else can, you know, what is it that they're going to believe about it? Before their very eyes? Anyway, he's going to preserve a remnant there as Satan is hitting hard against Israel. And so we go to point two God's providential protection. He is always doing this kind of thing. He always has, hasn't he? God is going to come to their aid. Surprise! We know God, don't we? We know He's going to do this. We are 100% sure. There's not like, well, I'm, uh, I'm really pretty sure. You know, 99% sure. It's like that commercial that comes out, you know, how people think that, oh, I'm pretty sure that this parachute, which is really a backpack on a guy's shoulder, and the guy says, as he's pushing him out of the plane, I'm pretty sure this is a parachute. <laughs> well, I will tell you, uh, we know 100% sure. I know it more than anything else. Whatever God says in here, and, it's, and especially if it's in the future, I know it's true. In the past, we already know it's true. It's been proven over and over and over again, right? As the hymn says, prove me over and over well, uh, this is incredible as we get to verse 14 now. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. You know what? I'm amazed what God tells us. This text that we're dealing with, I think it's pretty well clear. I think everybody in here really knows what's going on. But do you know most of the whole world doesn't know this? Well, most of the whole, whole world isn't even believers, right? Most of them are not Christians. But even some Christians don't know what this means. Matter of fact, they're so scared of the book of Revelation, they don't even want to hear anything about it. They don't want to read about it, and they'd rather move on. But Revelation 1 says what? We are blessed. And here it is. God is just telling us, here's what's going to happen in the future. Wouldn't you like to know what's in the future? We can know for sure. What is going on here? This is really rather strange. An eagle and uh, going to be taking Israel into the wilderness. What's going on? This is easy. Now, it's rather hard in another way 
because there is figurative language here, but behind figurative language there is Old Testament Scripture and always reality. So we can pretty well know what's going on here. I think a little bit better than pretty well known. Now we are not going to know the absolute details of this, but, you know... uh, it's figurative in the Old Testament, and I'll prove that, of rescue or escape. When we're talking about the eagle and uh, flying and, and the wings uh, in Exodus 19.14, or verse 4, I'm sorry, 19.4, says, You yourselves have seen, says the Lord, what I did to the Egyptians. And he's talking to Moses here, right? And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. He allowed them to escape Egypt. To escape Pharaoh and his armies that pursued them into the Red Sea. The eagles' wings are really a metaphor for God delivering His people. I don't think I have too much difficulty with this. Now, I'm not saying, hey, look at me, I'm a lot smarter than all the scholars. I'm saying there are many scholars that would say this. I would hope, for the most part, there's not a lot of differences here, really. Now, some speculate that this could be the United States Air Force coming in and getting Israel, you know, boarded up on the, you know, great big jumbo planes or whatever and then taking them out in the wilderness. Could that happen? I believe it could happen. I'm not going to stress it. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to suggest it really. God doesn't really have to do that. He could. Uh, I won't take it out. Maybe it's LL Airlines uh, taking them out there. Well, does it mean an airlift or that kind of flying out in the desert? Uh, Is it an actual bird? I really don't think so. Um, I'll tell you why. Let's go to... We did the Exodus 19, right? That helps. There are abundance of scriptures dealing with this. Let's go to Deuteronomy 32, 9 through 12. Deuteronomy 32, 9 through 12. You might see on your outlines there that it says Isaiah first. Are you going to miss that? Are you going to skip it? No, we're going to save it for the last. For the last is the best, right? No. Deuteronomy 32, 9-12. For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the allotment of His inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of a wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of His eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. The Lord alone guided him, and there was no foreign god with him. So eagle, protection, taking care of them, um, like the pupil of the eye, really... A lot of caring for. Psalm 91, verse 4. We get one that you probably have heard many times. And it says this, He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings 
you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. Does that make sense? Now let's go to Isaiah. One of our favorite verses. We know about this one. You might even have a plaque of it on your wall. And uh, Isaiah 40, verse 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. He gives us the strength, gives the protection, the guidance, mounting up with wings like eagles. And so, I really believe that that's the idea. Wings, you know, speak of strength, they speak of speed, they speak of protection, and, you know, like those hovering wings, and they speak of flight to safety. And so all the above there, I think, is involved as God is really taking care of His remnant. The chosen ones who are going to be saved or will be saved in Israel. Now, it talks about an eagle, and the first thing that I think about is the great American bald eagle. Tremendous sight, isn't it? For you that live uh, really close to the Osage River, you probably see the eagle quite frequently and go, ah, just the, the bald eagle. You, know, you see it all the time, no big deal. And uh, Carolyn and I like to go out different places, whether it be the Missouri River or whether it be over the, the lake, different places like that. And even up in Columbia, the Eagle Bluffs, and just go different, you know, just to have some fun, you know. But then to spot eagles, you know, they see their nest. It's a, it's a majestic scene to see them flying, isn't it? The way that they just just kind of float and using the wind as they move along. They, uh, they were known as the largest bird, the highest flying bird in uh, ancient times. It wasn't the bald eagle that might have been thinking about here. It was something even more so that we think of today than we think of. It was called a griffin. It was a huge bird. It was like four feet long. And it had a ten-foot wingspan. Ten foot is like the from the floor to the basketball goal. That's a pretty good wingspan there. And so this was a grand kind of a bird to them. And we could see what kind of a protection that a bird like that would have over its young and... Uh, Quite a, quite a scene, wouldn't it be? So, picturesque. Is a bird, though, in a literal sense? Probably not. God could do that and just take them and, you know, you know like some of those um, was it, superhero movies and stuff, and you see those great big huge birds and they pick up people and they fly them along. But, uh, very picturesque, but we see that God is absolutely controlling in this and takes them to the wilderness. Now, why do we see them going to the wilderness? Well, you know, I believe it is in Matthew 24. Let's look at there for a moment. And this is the words of Jesus. And it's at the Great Tribulation. See, this is when all craziness really happens. Right in the mid-tribulation, when you have the Antichrist coming in 
into the temple and proclaims himself to be God. It's called the abomination of desolation. In verse 15, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken of through Daniel the prophet, as also found in 1 Thessalonians, standing in Second Thessalonians, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. There's going to be people reading this at the time. He says, I want you to understand what this is. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are on his house. Don't even take time to get anything. Go. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. Who is this speaking to? What's the Sabbath? This is to the Jewish people. It's to Israel. They worship on the Sabbath. They've got the temple that was put back up. Antichrist is the one who gave them that three and a half years ago. Now in mid-tribulation, why is he doing what he's doing? Because he's, Satan is finally getting his worship through the man that's an Antichrist who is like Satan in every way. And then it says, For them there will be great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. And unless those days have been short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. That, my friend, is not 70 A.D. That is coming in the future. So, Here we have what is really an incredible thought. A place prepared by God. He says, flee. When the Antichrist has done that, go. Don't waste any time. Don't wait till the next day. Don't even wait until the next half hour. You've got to get out of here now. And He will assemble His people and usher them right out of Israel to a place of protection. Now what I like is Daniel 11, verse 41, back to the prophets. Daniel had a lot to say about the things that we are spending time on in Revelation. Daniel 11, 41. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Okay, here, the context real quickly. I'm not going to go back over all this. But this is Antichrist who has now conquering all the lands. And he's going to go into the Middle East even here. It says in 41, he will also enter the beautiful land. That would be what? That is Israel. There are other lands he's been. Now he's going to go into the beautiful land and many countries will fall. But these will be rescued out of his hand. There's going to be three that God is going to rescue that the Antichrist cannot defeat or will not defeat. It's Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon, Ammon, Jordan, right? Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries in the land of Egypt and they will not escape. 
So he can't do anything with Egypt or uh, Edom and Moab and Ammon. So he goes a little bit further south, captures Egypt. You can see what he's doing as you look at And then the Libyans and such takes control there. He's conquering all the lands. And, uh, of course, China is going to differ with that too. And uh, quite, quite interesting in the times that we live. We could see how a lot of this has shaped up. That it could be the course. But do you see what's going on? You have Edom, Moab, Ammon. That is the area that I propose is where the mountains that Israel is fleeing to. If they go south, straight south, they're not going to be going to mountains. They'll be heading to Egypt. If they head west, they are going to be heading into the Mediterranean Sea. If you go north, yeah, you've got Mount Hermon up there. But uh, actually, if you go east, you have the nations of Moab, Ammon, right, and Edom. Now that is real fascinating to me. For some reason, Satan or Antichrist can't conquer these lands. It's because God says, hands off. Because I have a place for my people where I'm going to take them. Here we are today looking at what could be, hey, a little over seven years, three and a half, a little over four years from now, ten years. I'm not dating anything. hundred years. It might be on our lifetime. But what you know, here it is, we're getting it that, oh, God's going to take Israel. He's going to make sure that they have a, a flight or a safety journey, whatever it is, and He's going to take care of them for three and a half years. You're in the middle of the tribulation. That's when Antichrist does this. For three and a half years, He's going to persecute Israel, but there is a remnant that are the elect that He will make sure that gets through. The tribulation. And Satan cannot touch them. Even if he knows where they're at. Wow. That's incredible. Aren't you amazed by that? This is our God. And what is another, a real wonderful twist about this. You have Arab nations here, folks. It's over on the other side of the... Of course, you're in the salt, the Dead Sea... You have the Jordan River, right? It goes into the Dead Sea. These are Arab nations that God is keeping from Antichrist by taking, and He's going to use them to protect His people. And you know what? There will be Gentiles during this time helping the Jews also. Because Matthew 25 they will be there will be people of the sheep the sheep and the goat judgment I can't even get all these words out I'm so excited and they they will have done things for Israel that they go when did we feed you and 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 give you water to drink and then Jesus says here's what you did this is why and it would actually be people who became Christians that were Gentiles that help out the Jewish people here somehow. Who knows how many Arabs in that land could become Christians, folks. And some of them are now, even today. So, where do I think they could go? Well, we know that there is a place in Edom called Petra, and you see that very interesting building there. 
in the lower left-hand corner on your screens. And that is carved out into great rock, massive rock there. And that whole area was really a, like a city in Edom. And it was encased in rocks and there was an entrance to it that's only the width of what a person could get through to. And it's like there's a whole civilization that was there. And it's carved out in all that rock. That is really awesome. And it is really, they were hard to get to. So somehow God is going to do this this, in this magnificent place that He takes care of them. By the way, you know there's been a lot of, uh, I guess you could say, maybe Christians who have taken Bibles to caves all in that area. Just so whenever the Jews get there, they have Bibles because they're not going to be able to, you know, go down if they're on the housetop to go down and get their Bibles and run off. They're not going to have any time or go get their phone or whatever, right? If it's not on them, and so therefore uh, they will have something there ready for them to even read. If some of them are not believers, then they have the truth, and it says, "Let the reader understand." <laughs> Wouldn't that be incredible? This is happening right now. That'll happen, folks. Right in the time that it's happening. God is so good. It's neat for us to understand, but can you imagine being those people that are the elect? (laughs) This is us. He's protecting us here. Here in Edom. Here in the Arab world. (laughs) I love it. That's our God. That's our God. You know, this has to frustrate Satan. It frustrates Antichrist. He thinks he's going to just explode and just take the whole world. And that's not happening. It's not going to happen. He knows they're out there. Can't get them. Kind of reminds me of Saul. Saul never really could get to David. He was so frustrated. Well, you know about that nourishing for a time and times and a half a time. Time one. Times two. That's how much? Three. And what's a half a time? Three and a half. Three and a half years. Middle tribulation, right in the middle. Three, first three and a half. Now you have the second three and a half. And three and a half years, Israel is going to be protected all the way till when Christ comes back. And he's going to be in Basra as he comes back. And then, you know, the people are actually going to see him as he's coming down, you know. And I also think that he is going to be leading his people. He's leading us who are already there with him. We were caught up with him and... Who knows how long we were with him and then we come back. What a greeting that Antichrist and China and the rest of the world is going to get. <laughs> I like it. Uh, about that three and a half years, I think it's interesting that it's constantly mentioned throughout Revelation. 12.6, same chapter. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished, just like our verse, what, uh, 14? For 1,260 days. How much is that? 
360 days, 360, 360, each was a year, then add, add the half. What do you have? 1260 days, three and a half years, 42 months. God just makes it clear and say, well, that literally can't mean that. Why would God keep giving us numbers? And if, if these numbers are just spiritual, then all the other numbers in the Bible could be spiritual too. Like the six-day creation and resting on the seventh day. Um, you know, none of those numbers really mean anything. It's just some kind of floating kind of thing that nobody knows. You know, that doesn't do credence to God's Word. Then we really can't take anything that He says. Why would He give us these spiritual things, right? Well, they're spiritual, all right, but they are realities. Now look in chapter 11, verse 2, building the temple. Uh, the temple uh, that's at Jerusalem, it's the what would be the, not millennial kingdom, but the tribulation temple here. Leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations, the Gentiles. And they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. Three and a half years. Chapter 13, verse 5. There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. That's Antichrist. 42 months. Three and a half years. Time, times and a half a time. Let's move on to number 3. Verse 15, And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. This is the wrath that the serpent has. This is attack number two. He attacked the Israelites during this time in different ways and such. And now we see that God is going to protect them. He takes them away. Now He has to attack a different way. He is relentless, isn't He? It's interesting. That's the way that He does in our lives. He attacks and He backs off. And then he comes back and attacks another way. And then another way. He's so deceiving, isn't he? He even did that to Jesus. Jesus kept replying back with the law at Deuteronomy. Three times he was tempted. And then he left for a season. He came back again. We know at the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus was tempted by Satan. Uh, so, he definitely was thwarted in his attempt for Israel at this time here. And so, now he will continue on to do that. Um, I got a feeling Michael was probably having a lot to do with this as it goes on. The imagery, I believe, is quite interesting. The serpent... It says here, doesn't it? Serpent in 15. Sometimes it's called a dragon. 
some kind of a monstrosity blowing out a great river of water out of his mouth. I think we have imagery again here with absolute reality. The people of Israel, which is the woman, now has escaped into the wilderness and judgment is coming out of the mouth of the dragon or the serpent or Satan. It's like a flood. This is language that again would be like Old Testament language. Uh, it probably refers to some kind of an army that would be unleashed on them out there in the wilderness. In Daniel 11.26, it speaks of an army that overflows with destruction. Like a river, like a, an army overflowing. You know, it's, it's, it's just like floods that come and destroy land which if it keeps raining again and all throughout April, we might have that here in Missouri again. But this dragon is figurative, the serpent is figurative, the mouth is figurative here, and therefore the mouth is figurative. If it's figurative, then the river is figurative also with a great reality that's all behind it. All that's possible that it could be a flood of water that comes down through there. And that could well be. I'm not ruling it out. But I think it's definitely a great force like a flood attacking the people of God where they are being protected. How else can uh, the enemy get to them and Satan wants Israel drowned and whatever it be. To be immersed in a flood is to be destroyed, to be carried away by, to be consumed absolutely destroyed. Again, the dragon thinks he's got them now. These are God's elect. And what it tells us here is that the devil is frustrated again. Don't you love it? He's always beaten every time just when he thinks he's got it. He just keeps on going, doesn't he? He put together, puts together here, I believe, a force of men and demons combined to come after the people of God. Look in Jeremiah chapter 46, verse 8. Egypt rises like the Nile, even like the rivers whose waters surge about. And he has said, I will rise and cover that land. I will surely destroy the city and its inhabitants. It's talking about destruction that God is bringing on. Like what a flood does? That's what God was going to do in His judgment. Now, move over to chapter 47, verse 2. Thus says the Lord, Behold, waters are going to rise from the north and become an overflowing torment and overflow the land in all its fullness. The city and those who live in it and the men will cry out and every inhabitant of the land will wail. So judgment is coming right on to um, Philistia is where that prophecy was against. and or, uh, Conquering the Philistines. And so that's what's happening there. God bringing on quite a mighty army against them. We go to verse 16. And this is the deliverance of the woman 
But the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. You can see all sorts of vivid imagery here, can't you? You know, first of all, you think of some kind of a cartoon drawing. But what you probably have here is another analogy to Old Testament events. Uh, Will you remember Korah and Dathan and Abiram and they sought to take the priesthood for themselves from Moses and they're saying, who gives you the right to have the leadership that you have? God. (laughs) And they rebelled against Moses and God's will and what He had been set up. And God said, I'll show you who's in control here. And He opened up the earth and swallowed them up and all the people there of them. The rest of them drowned into the earth. And so there's a death, a funeral service, a burial all at one time for them. Swallowed them up. The earth did that. How did that happen? Well, you know, this is all at the same moment. The earth just opens up. What do we see quite frequently through Israel with the earth opening up? Do you got the guess down? Revelation 6.12 It happens constantly. I looked and when He broke the sixth seal, for instance, there was a great earthquake. Enough. Right? Chapter 8, verse 5. God sends earthquakes all through the tribulation time. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth and there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. How about chapter 11, verse 13? We've been seeing these all along, haven't we? And in that hour there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. That was one of the woes that we had read about earlier. Uh, verse 19, And the temple of God, which is in the heaven, was open, and the ark of His covenant appeared in His temple, and there was flashes of lightning and sounds, and peals of thunder, and an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Earthquakes, earthquakes, earthquakes. Chapter 16, verse 18. Last one I'm going to give here. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. And the great city was split into three parts just before Christ comes back. Right? Earthquake. I believe this is what happens. Satan sends either a literal flood somehow or he sends a flood of armies and demons. He's had it. He's going to take them out finally. And God just swallows up the armies like that with the earthquake that just takes them in. That makes sense, doesn't it? Very possible. Like I say, I am not dogmatic about this as we go through this, but we see it. All of this is real about the nation and what will happen, how God will deliver Israel, nourish and protect them all along. And at this time where the world is at its worst, how could this happen? 
It's horrible during that time. We can't even imagine. We've already read about these kind of things. Chapter 6 through 11, didn't we? We saw those things that God was going to send. And as we move further on here in, in the next chapter and so forth, we see what's going to happen by as far as the Antichrist is concerned. And we're seeing it right here in this chapter today in 12. So, we get to our very last one. Verse 17. Oh, Satan is very, very enraged, angry, mad, evil mad. Again, God beats him. It's true. Of course, you have Antichrist here, right? That's who, you know, but really it's Satan that's calling the shots ultimately. As he has somebody, you know, in a body that's doing his will. But his will's not getting done. Even despite all these things, God is winning, folks. Attack number three. We're at the end of the chapter here, folks. So the dragon was enraged, I guess, with the woman. Oh! And he went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Rest of her children. It could be Jews. Israelites that he has that didn't get out of there and they be, you know, become saved and he protects them. I think it very well could mean that in a sense. That's a possibility. But I think for the most part, it's Gentiles. It's people who have become believers during this tribulation. And we see that. You have the 144,000 witnesses. Yet, or uh, well, they're witnesses. And those are from Israel. And then you have the two witnesses. And then you have the multitudes of Gentiles who are persecuted and martyred for their faith all through this time. It's a great revival during the tribulation, folks. And like I said, this is probably the greatest revival that's ever happened. And that shows you it's the grace of God. And that shows you that He's triumphant at a time that could be most the worst tribulation that the world has ever faced. And here you have all these people being saved. It's reached out, I think, here mainly to Gentiles. Gentiles are included in the Abrahamic promise that's not only to the seed of um, the Israel and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob on through, but it's also to the people who are blessed by them giving out the Word of God. Of course, they failed as a whole, but... I don't believe this Abraham's children is necessarily ethnic uh, children. I think it's all who have become believers here, uh, spiritual children of Abraham. And now Satan is going to make war with them. He can't get at Israel, so you know he tried his best, didn't he? Here's his third shot during this time. Okay, I'll get the ones who become believers in Christ, uh, the, uh, the Gentiles. I'll get them. Any, you know, any believers he can go, go get. He'll go get them. He'll try. What are the believers here? I think this is a definition of Christians. They keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. 
they are people who believe God. They've trusted in sacrifice. All who trust and obey, all who are His, and they keep the commandments of God. They love God, they love the neighbor. And everything, all of that in between, that's really the two commandments ultimately. Love God, love neighbor. To live that out as you do that, that's obedience. They hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's a testimony that is ours because of the Holy Spirit who is given to us. That's the virtue that we have. Here's what God has done for me. That's knowing the Lord, being in His family, knowing that our sins have been uh, just cast out. Remission of sins have happened. The believer knows that he's forgiven. And that's a testimony, isn't it? And he's making war with them and he will kill many. But those people that are elect... Whether you die, He's going to bring you safely to heaven. Or the ones that are being in, let's say, Petra, or over across the Jordan River, that are protected by God up in the mountains, they are believers there. And so what's happening? He protects them to go into the kingdom alive and to repopulate the kingdom the thousand year millennium which God has much to say in chapter 20. So, they will be able to bear children and populate the kingdom and at the same time we come there with glorified bodies. We will not be repopulating because we'll have glorified bodies and yet at the same time we'll be living with these people that God saved right at the last hour even, as they look upon Him whom they pierced and mourn for Him an only Son. That's by God's grace, isn't it? He always has a remnant. Well, I look at this today and what it means to me is the lesson is so simple. God takes care of His people. Whether they die, and people say, well see, he didn't. the other ones He didn't save. What's going on there? Well, which would you rather be? I'd rather go to be with the Lord, but if He's got a plan for me, and that's just great too. So He will keep me alive during this time, and He'll give me everything I need. Out in the desert? Where's the food come from? Where's the water come from? In the wilderness? I think He's done that before with Israel in the same area. He does that kind of thing. That's our God, folks. And on that, we close. Father in Heaven, thank You for being our triumphant One who we can count on every single time, no matter what it looks like in our own lives. Lord, You are in control and You are making everything good and it's all in Your time. Thank You, Lord, for the time that we live in. And for such a time as this, You have prepared us and are preparing us 
to be lights and witnesses for you and to live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Watch the chords, Dennis. Uh, I don't have the lyrics to this song, but as much as you can uh, help us sing with it, please do. And I'm going to ask Audrey to come up here and give me uh, a helping hand on this song that I know she knows very well. Do you know these words? Oh, it's the blessing song. May the Lord. Oh, praise God. You guys know that one? May the Lord, mighty God, bless and keep you forever. Grant you peace, perfect peace, strength in every endeavor. Don't you like this? I'm reading these. <laughs> Lift your eyes to see His face. Know His grace forever. May the Lord, mighty God, bless and keep you forever. I was actually going to put these words on here, but I forgot the title of it, and I wound up coming here, and somebody, Carolyn said, we don't have the words for that song. And I go, oh, yeah. So, um, now, you hear that? I've got it back. folks. He blesses us.
Oh, oh, wait, do we have... <laughs> we do have a birthday. We do, don't we? we? Do. Uh, it's and it's Audrey. <laughs> what day exactly is it, Audrey? Wednesday, the last Wednesday. day of March, the last oh, day of the first wow. quarter of the year, and I missed April Fool's Day, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Audrey, happy birthday to you. And put your uh, date of your birth on the Facebook so we will know. You do not do that. You do not put your date of birth on Facebook. <laughs> Well, they already know. Well, they think I'm um, 11. 11? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. 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 I really did not think you were 61. <laughs> See that? I am the Don't worry. I'm, I'm 40 and I feel it. I know you are. I ain't stupid. You, you think I'm dumb? I don't know that. See, but don't take that apart. There are, aren't there? You know, I always think of the, you know, the grand bald eagle, which is right. really cool. But it's not the wow. biggest. The gold is bigger, but there are even more in other countries. Yes, there are. Can you imagine something that huge flying around, like 10-foot wingspan? It's almost like a, a vulture in a way, you know. So what is how long Apparently there are four categories of eagles. The buzzard eagles, the hawk eagles, the snake eagles, and the fish eagles. Uh-huh. So what is the American eagle there? Bald eagle. Is it fish? I'm 